Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured a Premier League match at home against Southampton. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove, and uh, a happy St. Totteringham's Day to you, sir. <laughs> and you. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, one of those weekends, uh, latest in a series. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's why I started with a much more positive note. Because um, the yeah, it, and I, boy, I I hate Friday afternoon games. They're so bizarre, so weird, and it just takes me out of like my entire the entire rhythm of my weekend. You know, I'm supposed to watch Arsenal first thing in the morning on Saturday or Sunday, and now all of a sudden there's no Arsenal. What am I supposed to do with my Saturday or Sunday morning? <laughs> Just make breakfast. I don't know. <laughs> and it starts your weekend on a down note when when the match well, doesn't go the way that we'd hoped. <laughs> well, yeah. Although to be fair, that's also true of like the six a.m. Saturday games, which they better. If yeah, I'm going to wake up that early, they darn well better win. Uh, but yes. Um, yeah. So so why don't you tell me about Saint Totteringham? <laughs> uh, yes. So Saint Totteringham's Day is a fan created holiday uh, from a somewhat recent vintage. Uh, you know, in the last at least decade or so. Um, some say back into as far back into the eighties, perhaps uh, celebrating the day where Arsenal clinches finishing ahead of Tottenham in the league standings. Uh, ah. So that actually happened. The result, the the point, uh, did clinch us uh, that spot. We will finish ahead of Tottenham, and that was before uh, on Sunday they rather hilariously got battered by a Newcastle, which mm. um, which was pretty funny. Um, again, I'm reaching for positives. Uh, Spurs and Chelsea became teams that uh, lost two managers this year. That Tottenham uh, fired Antonio Conte, or I guess mutually parted ways. He said, giving <laughs> finger quotes. Uh, that was a few weeks ago, and then their their interim manager has since also left the club. Um, there's other. There's some other. I think weirdness connected to. I don't remember if he's quite connected to some of those. Uh, stuff involving Juventus and uh, the Italian league and the trouble there and there. Um, but uh, but it's pretty funny. And I'm looking for funny yeah. things right now because that, that game on, <laughs> on Friday was not funny. Not funny at all. Well, so as we speak, we're still top of the table, uh, rather precariously. Um, and where is uh, Tottingham? Uh, Tottenham are currently in fifth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Tottenham. Uh, the or Spurs as they are currently in fifth. Uh, six points behind Manchester United and Newcastle for fourth. So right now, I would say most likely headed to the Europa League. Although they're only two points ahead of Aston Villa and three points ahead of Liverpool. Um, so they could easily lose out on the Europa League uh, spots. And then depending on how uh, – well, no, I guess the FA Cup is, is going to slot in. Um, the FA Cup final is set to be City and United. So chances are the uh, top seven spots will go to Europe. And then actually Brighton has three games in hand on Spurs and is only four points behind them. So there is quite right. a race still left for uh, European spots. Um, right. It certainly – it certainly does look as though it'll be Ar Arsenal and City, I think, are they're not clinched, but it is almost certain that they'll be in the Champions League next year. And then Newcastle and United are the heavy favorites, I think. To, I think are the heavy favorites right now to get those those last two spots. Uh, but Arsenal are right. currently 22 points 
ahead of Tottenham with six games to play. So uh, for the first time in a number of years, we will finish ahead of them in the standings, which is it feels right. Just feels right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, let's uh, let's pour a little bit of. Uh water onto that flame of uh, brightness in our weekend <laughs> and talk about the match that put us there. Um, so this was our 32nd Premier League match, April 21st of 2023, and our third consecutive draw in Premier League play, uh, 3-3 against Southampton. <sighs> Boy, uh, well, let me, before we start talking about the match itself, let me talk about my viewing experience for this match because it was kind of funny what happened. So we spoke last week about how I'm set up with NBC Sports for viewing before it comes to Peacock for games like this one that are on USA Network in the US. And I mentioned that uh, listeners should be careful if they like me, which I realize there may not be any <laughs> listeners like me, but um, at least for myself, that I would need to be careful uh, going in to watch replays, which is what I did because I didn't take time out Friday to watch this match. So I went to watch it um, after everyone else in my household had gone to bed that night. Um, I went to watch it and I was aware of the danger of being spoiled from them prominently featuring the highlights with the scores and the titles of the highlights. So I went in with my glasses taken off, <laughs> with my eyes defocused, intentionally trying to only scan for colors <laughs> and shapes, not for words on the screen. I can very clearly still make out Gabriel Jesus, and I click on it and see right away that it's not showing a kickoff and I must have landed on the highlights. Before I can hit the button to back out of that, I see Arsenal 3, I don't see the second line, thankfully, which gives Southampton's score. But that was a very odd situation in which to watch this match, right? I knew half of the ending. <laughs> so under ordinary circumstances, if we hadn't been scored upon twice in the first 15 minutes, I'd be thinking, oh, we're pretty comfortable for this match. You know, we're going to get three points against Southampton. What are they going to do, right? Southampton. <laughs> but... <laughs> It turned out to be even more suspenseful as I saw their score creeping up. And like once we eventually did draw even in the match, I really wondered, would they score again? It didn't seem completely unfathomable the way the rest of the match had gone. So that was an interesting framing for my viewing of this replay. Uh, yeah, uh, well, especially given the way the game <laughs> played out. Um, I guess it, it yeah. in some ways, based especially on the last... I don't know, guess 10 minutes, uh, kind of removed a little bit of the drama from your perspective, didn't it? Uh-huh. It did, right, because Arsenal was attacking way more at the end than it seemed like they were really pushing hard for another goal. And right, I knew they weren't going to get it at that point exactly. But you know, still, that last goal was really late. So I guess it was a matter of how late, like how far into stoppage time would that goal occur at that point, and would there be another to match it by that point? Yeah, yeah. which there were a couple of... They, they carved out one or two chances really late, but they uh, just couldn't get the mm -hmm. that fourth. But, of course, you knew that already, so... <laughs> right. Yeah, so, right. That that was unfortunate. Um, um, but, yeah, so that that first goal that they scored was squarely Ramsdale's fault. I don't know if there's any way to argue otherwise. Uh, what was funny to me watching that is, I mean, as 
a very green beginning adult keeper, I've made that mistake a bunch of times where I just clear it to where I think someone on my team is going to get it. Like, oh, whoops, I didn't see that player from the other team closing in. And whoops, they score. That, that's definitely happened to me. Um, uh, <laughs> as you've readily pointed out many times, well, yeah, I'm not Ramsdale. <laughs> yeah, it's more forgivable for me to do that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't quite notice it. I was looking away, talking to somebody, and all of a sudden I look up and the ball's in the net. And, and yeah, it was um, – yeah, I just – every time I watch it, it's just sort of baffling, like, what exactly he's he's looking at or seeing there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think I have to say, though, the first thing I turned to someone next to me and said, well, we're not blowing a 2-0 lead today. <laughs> that's what that's that one way to true. avoid blowing a two nil lead is just not to have one and so um <laughs> we were on the other end of a two nil lead <laughs> yeah i mean it yeah i it it's it, it sort of it, it's one of those that just kind of uh, in a moment that just kind of defies analysis like what else do you say other than well, that was dumb. <laughs> there's really not a whole lot else. There's really not a deeper. There's no. I mean, I did see some suggestion that if you, they pulled back from the wide shot, and I think they saw Rob holding, uh, pointing towards Gabrielle. No, of course, I don't know. Is he set telling Ramsdale, you know, pass to Gabrielle, or is he saying, "Watch out, there's a guy on Gabrielle"? I don't know what he's saying there, but uh, you know, oh uh, yeah, could be mixed signals. Yeah, Ra- Ramsdale does does that. You know, he's done so much. I don't want to. You know, just completely, you know, we're not going to trash the guy, obviously, um, but, but man, it's just... Yeah, that was a gut punch. It defies deeper analysis, really. There's really not much else to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> the the next thing, um, <laughs> did you notice it was uh, during the seventh minute, um, a ball had gone out for an Arsenal corner kick, and um, one of the Southampton players had the ball, and Jesus... <laughs> went over and wrenched the ball out of the guy's hands like, very aggressively. Yeah. Uh, it was very early in the match. Like, right. So, on? yeah, one of the things you definitely saw Southampton doing a lot uh, was time-wasting. The keeper was taking right. 30 seconds uh, to to play out play out the ball. Um, you know, we saw them uh, de- de- delaying uh, set pieces, uh, delaying uh, even some free kicks. Uh, so, so in a sense, I mean, and, and we sort of commented on this at the time, you know, Jesus needed, I mean, yes, I understand the frustration. They're clearly time wasting. You want to get the ball back. You want to get the ball in play and keep the game moving. But yeah, it was, it was a little too early in the game to be getting that aggressive. Like, I mean, I understand the frustration, but it also need to, <laughs> you as a player need to be a little calmer about that. Um, and, right. and because it already reveals a certain sense of, it's a certain sense of desperation for both of you. Southampton feels like they have to do that, which to be fair, they are dead last in the league and, uh, right. you know, they, they're desperate to get out of the relegation spots. And, but we're also feeling the pressure of, of the title run. I think that's, uh, I mean, we, we, we know that's true. And I think it's been clearly painfully obvious, certainly in these last two games and to a lesser extent, the Liverpool one, although I think. As we said, some of that is just down to Liverpool's quality, which, but I don't think that's quite the same for we- against West Ham, and certainly not this one at home against uh, the Saints. So, hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. The, and with the time wasting, I know later on the ref gave like a 
pre-yellow warning to their keeper saying, hey, I'm going to start booking you for time wasting, which I don't think he ended up doing against the keeper, at least. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the <laughs> that's the eye roll that comes with um, the time wasting cards because we point out one they take forever to give them, and two, even if he does give one, I, they will never give a second yellow for time wasting. That's that is not going yeah. to happen. Which is is you know kind of what you what you really need in that circumstance, but it won't happen. So it, it's frustrating. I will say though, um, there was a lot of stoppage time, and I was pleasantly surprised at how much stoppage time we got, and especially in the second half of the referee essentially added on another minute or two. Um, and we'll talk about the second half later, mm, but I mean, essentially added on that time. So in a sense, they they were they're doing what you really need to do to get rid of stop to get rid of time wasting, which is added on a stoppage right. time. We've talked about World Cup time and how that's coming in, mm-hmm. or presumably coming in next year. So you know, fingers crossed on that. But right, that that I think is right. Well, will make a difference. Yeah, I mean, across the two halves, we had 15 minutes of minimum stoppage time, and like you said, he went beyond the eight minutes in the second half too. So then there being way more than that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that could have <laughs> nearly almost made the difference for us as far as being able to win it, but not quite. Yeah. But. I mean, it's it's weird. We talk about this game this way. I mean, we, we did draw. Like, we did actually, we did not actually lose this game, even though so much of it feels like it. We actually didn't. Yeah. Um, we, di- we, we did draw. We did get a point. Right. Yeah, no, and it's it's amazing that we did come down from 2-0 to draw it 3-3. That is a really good performance. It's just very, very unfortunate that we put ourselves in the position where we scored three goals against them and didn't win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I spent I spent a good chunk of the game, I mean, being a, li- a little Pollyannish, but sort of like imploring the guys around me, like, we're playing well, we're carving out chances, we keep doing this, we'll get the goal. The downside is once you're down 2-0... It sets up the second half where they get one play in our half. And we saw this, I think, in the Brentford game. They get one play in this in our half, and it's a goal. And that, you know, now it, it, we'll get into that, I think, when we do the second half more more clearly. But that's, it's the pressure you put yourself under when you go down that way. And, 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 you know, their first goal was, you know, again, as we just said, Aaron Ramsdale messed up. But the second goal, um, yeah, it's a give, it's it's not a great giveaway, but you know, give credit. The pass to Walcott is is outstanding, and he's mm-hmm. you know it Theo was. Walcott, former Arsenal player, uh, longtime Arsenal mm. player. Uh, he puts home a puts home a really nice finish, and so you know, credit credit where credit's due on that one. That was a really good play by them. Yeah, he also cleverly got around Gabriel to be able to pick up that ball and get it in so and some of that and some some, of that's on the arsenal defense (laughs) but some of that but some of that's his speed i mean that's walcott always been walcott's was always walcott's strength was his his speed and his ability to get in behind defenders like that i mean he you know he Mm -hmm. gabriel's not certainly not slow but you know he's a center back he's not he's not fast either right yeah um the one thing that was uh, remarkable during this match is lots of yellows against uh, against Southampton. I think only one against us, like overall very lopsided, which, you know, I, I guess to me isn't surprising given the stature of both teams this season that they're going to do whatever they can to try and eke out a point against us, whatever it takes. So, I, I mean, is that more or less what was going on, you think? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, there were a lot of, like, we sort of complained about yellows that weren't given, certainly against Liverpool um, and and a few others. Uh, but, yeah, I think some of it was you saw a lot of them were, were clutching, grabbing kind of things, uh, you know, a lot of pullbacks. Um, 
you know, which but they were they were fair. You know, I thought they were they were they were fair yellows. I mean, you know, overall, I thought the you know we've we've complained about the officiating. I thought overall, you know, I, I mean, I can complain about a couple of particular instances, but who can't? Overall, actually, I thought the the officials did a generally good job in sort of keeping uh, the flow of the game. Yeah, I was looking at the stats. We did only get the one get the one yellow, and they ended up picking up five. I, I guess right. if I had they, a... They had like four, four or five. Yeah. I, yeah, I've got, I mean, just looking at I've got five. Alcaraz, Perot, uh, Walker Peters, Adam Armstrong, and then uh, Ibrahima Diallo got one at the very end. Huh. Um, which one of those, I think, might have been a time-wasting yeah. one. But, but uh, you know... I think also, um, I think if there's a if there's an area where I have some quote unquote complaints would really be once those two outside defenders got on yellows. I think we needed to be much more aggressive, having Saka and Martinelli continue to make runs at them, force them to make plays, to try to make tackles. Yeah. Even while on in yellow, and yes, they were getting support, but I mean, I think you have to do a little bit more to put them under pressure, and even more so, frankly, because you know we'll, we'll talk about this again at the end. I, I thought th- they were our two best players, Saka and Martinelli. So, so they were really, yeah. To, 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 to you know that when once you get those guys on yellows, that's the big that's the big advantage of the early yellow is it forces you to play differently because you're now worried about doing something that might pick up that second yellow, and so as an as the other team, you want to be more aggressive and target those players, go after them, make him make challenges, make them make tackles, and see if you can't maneuver them into doing something uh, that's going to get that booking, get that second card, right. Yeah, I guess I wasn't really asking the question with regards to the officiating so much as the officiating seemed spot on to me. What was Southampton's strategy there? Like, is that just the way that they always are? Or was it in this game, in this circumstance, that was what made sense for them to do? The time wasting was definitely relative to the game. Um, you know, again, right. it, it's scoring so quickly. Certainly the first goal and then the second one. You know, we sort of talked about this, like with with Brentford too. When you score quickly like that, it, it really changes it. Your your fear uh, when you're a team like Southampton facing an Arsenal who's going to be much more forward, much more aggressive, take the game to you in many ways, is that the game stays level for so long. You're going to do most of the defending, but you hope maybe you can catch them on the counter and get a goal, uh, smash and grab as they're called. But the downside is if you give up a goal, now you're desperate and you have to open up, and that's when an Ar- an Arsenal or a City or a Liverpool, that's when they just carve you up. Because um, you're open, yeah. you're trying to move, you're trying to go forward. So now, having scored that early goal, now you really can just sit back and defend. And some of it's a little bit of desperation, but there were definitely a couple of pretty cynical challenges. I think there was one, they they pulled a guy back uh, deep in, in, Arsenal, in Ar- the Arsenal end. I think it was Martinelli got pulled back and it was an obvious yellow, but yeah, it's the, it's very cynical, but that's the play to make to not allow the play to go forward. Yeah. I think, I think if it was the one that I had noted down is in the 27th minute, it was Saka as Alcaraz against mm-hmm. Saka. He was like tugging him down to the ground and he got, yeah, I think that might, I think him, you're yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, that was, I mean, again, it's, it's, as we said, the word is cynical. Like it's, there's, there's, he's not even pretending to make a play on the ball. He's, Making it, mm-hmm. he's pulling him back just to do that, and everybody knows it, and that's partly why the yellow comes out. But um, right. obviously, in the moment, you'd much rather have Saka, you know, blazing down the wing with you know a good chunk of their team forward. So, right. 
Um, something else that was interesting that happened late in the first half is I think it was pronounced Bednarek was how they were saying the name. Uh, yeah, Bednarek. Um, yeah. Um, so he went down and he was indicating that he was ready to go back on, but the, the medical staff for Southampton wanted him to sit the rest of the match out. Um, it was interesting. So we were 11 V 10 for, for a stretch before he was actually pulled out and substituted permanently. And I heard the commentators, uh, toss out the term power play, which I know from my minimal exposure to hockey, I've never heard that used in a soccer context. So that's interesting when you have more men on the field that they call it that in soccer too. Yeah, they don't. They don't really call it that. It's 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 a situation that oh, happens really? on occasion, but it happens so rarely that, in a sense, he's using the hockey term to describe what's going on. That Arsenal are playing a man ah. for a couple of minutes. Um, we should point out that right. that was so he he goes down in part, and they don't show a lot of replays of it. But he goes he goes up for a header, and Martinelli undercuts him. Um, right. Martinelli is a little lucky to escape without a yellow on that play. That's a seemed like it to me. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, let's put it this way. We complain a great deal when Harry Kane does it a lot for Tottenham. And frankly, we should. It's a, it's a dirty play. It's a dangerous play. Uh, when guys jumping and get undercut like that, your best defense of Martinelli might be, you know, he kind of got caught in a bad place and he wasn't trying to undercut him, but still it's, it's clumsy. It's awkward. It's kind of dangerous. You see him in Benaric's case, the way he falls uh, and has to be taken off. And, and, you know, it's a, he's definitely, definitely pushing to get back on he's really trying to let them back on and to their credit you know the you know the medical staff is there they made the determination you're not you shouldn't and they they held them off and that's you know to a certain extent the guys always want to rely on their players right how do you feel do you feel okay can you do it but there are some times where you as a coach or you as the medical staff have to look and say i know what you think you feel but you're wrong this is not okay you need to come off and it looks like they that's what they did there obviously hope he's you know, he was back on the sidelines and was moving around and talking, so maybe he wasn't that bad. But again, with especially with concussions, you really can't be sure, especially in the moment like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's uh, take a halftime break and talk about something that I can now confirm is uh, actually rather tasty. Um, this week, I've had... Uh, Multiple times during which I was very physically active, coaching various sports for my son, and I thankfully was able to have a nice big drink of my liquid IV after each of those uh, sports practices. Um, It was really tasty. I got the strawberry lemonade flavor, Um, and liquid IV, of course, is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down after a long night out and on long flights. Um, I know in my case, so first of all, when, when they say a stick, that's kind of the shape of the package that it comes in. It's not like a solid stick. It's powder in a stick-shaped packet that you tear open and pour into your drink. Um, I found it doesn't leave any residue in the water, which is a thing that powders can do sometimes. It didn't taste like granules or anything. It was very smooth, just like any other sports drink. Um, tasted really good. The strawberry lemonade flavor is one that I would recommend to anyone who likes strawberries and or lemonade. 
Um, and uh, I've definitely felt way more hydrated after sweating a lot than I have in the past, um, where I haven't felt like I need to keep on going back for more and more to drink after, where it really was uh, getting the job done. So... Uh, you put one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water and it hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. There are 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting because, you know, it can get boring when you have the same flavor over and over again. So if you get one of their, they have different sampler packs where you can get combinations of flavors, try out different ones and then something different to look forward to each time. Uh, each stick contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It is made with premium ingredients that are non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And because Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world, they partner with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. So, if you would like to join us and get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GOONER at checkout, that's G-O-O-N-E-R, you can get 20% off Anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GOONER, G-O-O-N-E-R, again, there are no U's in GOONER, at liquidiv.com. Thanks to them for supporting our show. So, the second half. Um, I went into it optimistic. You know, we'd closed the gap a little bit. We went in only down by one goal, two to one. And uh, <laughs> it didn't last that way for long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we it, it it was the 66th minute, so about 20 minutes in, we were playing overall. But yeah, you know, you you put yourself in that position where you're you're down a goal, and and, and it only takes that one opportunity. And and we should, frankly, we should be careful. Uh, I shouldn't say be careful. I we've gotten a little sloppy on on the set piece, especially corner defending. It's we've given up a bunch of goals recently in that, and it was it was such a strength in the early part of the season and. Yeah, I mean, some of that is is we talked about Saliba being out. Um, you know, some of it. We, you know, we we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but you know, Granit Xhaka was apparently sick, and so he was out for the game, replaced by Fabio Vieira, who, while I think is capable of doing some good things, I think is also is clearly struggling at times with the speed and physicality of the league. I mean, you know, I'm not going to blame him for this, but. You know, players start going out. Um, you know, we've had some, frankly, some lackadaisical defending on corners, which is not something you really want to see. Um, and right. it's it's cost us. And I, t- it's so many to this game felt like a, a carbon copy of the, uh, like of, of the Brentford game, including the second half set piece goal, which Brentford got, and now Southampton got, and it's and it's three one. And that's just, it's just very yeah, frustrating. Even, even as we looked good, it's now three, one. Yep. So then, uh, 11 minutes after that goal, um, they sub in Onuachu, who was a giant. I couldn't believe when I was seeing this guy like warming up, getting ready to get on the field. Like, Oh my God, that guy is massive. I guess he's six, seven. The commentator said, um, that was he was towering over everybody else, and they managed to score off of a corner kick without him. <laughs> so yeah, I wonder if they'd had the opportunity, how that would have gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, they had. I think they had one or two chances with before he before he okay. came on. But yeah, yeah, he was a he was a, he was a, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. Yeah. Well, we we answered with a nice uh, assist from Ben White to Odegaard, which brought it up to two three. 
and then um, we kind of <laughs> waited until the last minute, or actually beyond the last minute, to uh, to yeah, it was like. It was with. I guess it wasn't. It was in the last minute. It was like in the 90th minute. It was still in regulation play that uh, we managed to kind of bounce the ball around inside the box a little bit, Jesus to Nelson Nasaka, and and bring it even. And then we had a relentless uh, stoppage time that just got a lot of chances and some really close calls, but nothing that quite went in. Oh yeah. Other than I mean, yeah, we got. I mean, you know, Odegaard getting it, getting it in. Uh, we had Sokka with the equalizer in, uh, was that the 92nd, or it was right around the 90th, I think? Uh, I think it was the 90th minute, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I, I, and yeah, and we were doing a good job, I think, carving out chances or getting ourselves into position. It's a bit hard, of course, because Southampton is plugging the box, and we had a number of opportunities that were just blocked, um, or, you know, hit guys. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously when it happens, you're frustrated and you hope you get that rebound. You hope you're able to get you know, somebody sticks a toe on it. I mean, in another in another game, one of those rebounds falls right to Jesus or someone else. And they're able, sort of like with Sokka's goal, it falls right to the right guy and they're able to just poke it in. Yeah. And we had a few of those chances. You know, Reese Nelson rolls one just agonizingly wide. Right. Um, Trossard right. as a as a cracking shot that hits the crossbar. I mean, he, oof, what a shot that was. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, just I mean, again, it took them so much, and the crowd is behind them and does such a great job, sort of goading them, pushing them, and and really pushing them into this this situation and and getting behind them, and you know that tying goal goes in, and I mean, with all of stoppage prime, prime in front of us, I mean. You know, it's it's a weird thing. On the one hand, everybody wants to go crazy and get excited because it's big, but you think we we just need the one more. Come on, get settled. You know, they grab the ball out of I the know. net and, and are running back to the center circle. Like it really, you, you you really thought they could have done it, and it, it it is to their credit to fight back the way they did. And and I know this was some conversation with some Arsenal fans. Not on Friday, because on Friday, of course, everyone's feeling terrible about it. But you know, th- this is clearly a wobble. You know, definitely a stretch where we aren't playing well. But, you know, last year, a wobble for us meant losing three in a road. Um, we took a look at last year, dropping to, to Newcastle and or to Spurs and Newcastle and someone else. And that was super late on the run into the season. Um, for now, us three, the wobble means three consecutive draws, which we're going to talk about what it means for us in the title race. But, I mean, we, we still haven't lost a game since February 15th. Uh, the the game right. against City in the league. We we have not lost a game since then. Uh, you know, it, it just sort of speaks. You know, it, it, I don't want to get into the valedictory sense of talking about the season that was. You know, I it, the season is is obviously not over. Um, the game on the game on Wednesday is going to be massive. Um, and you know we've kind of lost whatever cushion we had, but you know that that we are. I don't want to talk about talk like the title race is over yet. We we still have a massive opportunity in front of us. You know, we're on one on Monday we're recording, so in two days' time, um, you know, we yep. we can we can, and I, you know, so I don't want to talk about the season yeah. being over yet, and I don't want to be too disappointed about picking up another set of points. I, again, what we've done so far this season has been fantastic, um, but yeah, I mean, there's still very much something something shiny to play for in front of us. Um, right. 
So yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's great that we fought our way back. It's but it's it's frustrating to to pick up a point again, but it's still a point. And so I want to emphasize the positive. And you heard that our post game Arteta is post game quote. I love my players. It's a very pet move of his to, you know, sort of in a moment where they could be feeling down, try to try to build them up and speak positively. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it just I it's so agonizing. Like you just imagine if they hadn't scored that twenty nine second or twenty eight second, whatever that first goal, how different would this match have been? Right? Like, what mindset did that put them in? It just changed the entire game. We'll never know. But yeah. it's it's just you just wonder like what fortune on their part that, that just that they were given that basically. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've it, it's been kind of interesting, right? That notion of pressure and how does it make you play? How does it make you feel? I mean, we've talked a little bit about this too. Our our rosters is still clearly thin for what Arteta wants it to be. Like, you know, again, we've said nice things about Rob Holding, but it, when we get to the summer, you know, in terms of places we're going to be looking in the transfer market, it, it's definitely going to be in defense. In part because you know, two critical injuries, Saliba and Tomiyasu. And you're left playing Rob Holding, who, as we said, is a limited player. There are things he can't do. There are adjustments he forces them to make in the lineup. And then you throw in, you know, obviously with Xhaka being out. I mean, I know Xhaka has his critics, and he certainly has his limitations. But he's a veteran player. He's a leader. Um, you know, he's a, he is a smart player in a lot of ways. And Fabio Vieira... Mm-hmm. Uh, he isn't that yet. He's young. He's talented. He does this. You can see the talent and see things he does really well. But as we said, also he's he's physically still needs a little bit of physical growing to do in terms of his his strength, uh, in terms of getting himself into that position. He got pushed around a little bit against you know against Southampton, which you know it, 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 the the Premier League is bigger and faster and more physical than than Portugal is. And that's yeah. just that takes that's a hard thing to adjust to. We talked about you know Kivior coming even from Italy, which is a big league. You know his his appearances. He's only had what two so far. You know, yeah, you're asking a lot out of these guys who are young and relatively inexperienced. Um, and you know, someone pointed this out. Some of it could also just be mental fatigue. I mean, think about how much they've played and how mentally they've had to be in this. Um, adding in the pressure of the title race, um, you know, the pressure of the last two games, having blown those leads, and really giving up the goal in some ways was probably the the worst possible thing that could have happened. But, you know, it's to their credit. They fought through it. They pushed back and got back into the game. And, you know, it just, it they sort of started that from a, a bit too deep of a position, you know, being down 2-0 uh, just leaves you with no margin for error, which is also where we are with City. I mean, we are five points up on them, but... They have two games in hand, uh, not counting right. our game with them. If if they win those two games, uh, they're ahead of us. Now, if we win in Manchester, now that's a different story. And now that our, as they say, our 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 fate is back in our hands. Right now, both of us control our destiny right. in the sense that if we win out, we win the title. But you know, obviously, for they're in a bit of an advantage having those two extra games in hand. Uh, especially given the the bulk of the standings. Now, saying that, if they drop points in one of those, if they suddenly have a, you know, a game where it just doesn't quite go in, and all of a sudden they draw, we, you know, we're back, we're back on top again. So it's, it's right, right, you know, and that's not again not counting our game. So it 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 
I know it feels a little tough, but this is not over yet. This is, you know, this is, you know, let's right. let's stop. I'm not going to write the obituary on this season yet. <laughs> well, so let me ask before we get into our player of the match determination, um, what is the outlook for our injured players? Because um, that is definitely having a massive impact on, on these games. Are any of them coming back soon? Like, how many of these are major injuries and how many are minor? Like, uh, Neil Smith-Rowe, we haven't seen him in a long time. Like, he was injured toward the beginning of the season, then he came back for a little bit, and then we haven't seen him much. Like, do, you know, yeah, do you know what I, all their statuses are? So he's been on the bench, Smith-Rowe. Um, I, I get the impression it's more that's a, a manager's decision. I, there was a comment he had made or Arteta made somewhere in the last week, and I, I can't really find it. He it, it it seems as if it seems as if Arteta wants to see a little bit more from him in practice, like uh-huh. almost like the sense that Smithrow isn't quite forcing himself into the line, like making essentially making Arteta pick him. Arteta puts a lot of stake in how guys perform in practice. Um, right. And right. I, I, I don't know, something about the way they've talked about gives me the impression that there's, it's, it, that there's just something that seems to be maybe missing from Smith Rowe, or maybe he's not as healthy as we think, even though he's on the bench. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a Smith Rowe. As far as I can t- as far as I know, he's healthy. Um, right. Jaka was apparently illness, so I think the hope and expectation is he'll be back for uh, City. Other than that, okay. I mean the big the big injury loss, of course, is um, is Saliba. There's a lot. Arsenal's been very tight tight lipped about it. There's a there are a lot of rumors are flying around about the way it's being handled or talked about that perhaps perhaps he might be done. He might not come back this season, um, which would obviously be a massive okay. loss with City. To a lesser extent, Chelsea, and then also with Newcastle as well, as we talked about. That's a big game coming up. Um, you know, the next the next ten days are really going to be massive for us. Really, really two weeks because if you count, right, look at our coming up, upcoming games. We have City on Wednesday, Chelsea the following Tuesday, which is a London derby. Chelsea's talented, although they're probably a team that is uh, on the beach, as they say, uh, to a certain extent, and then. On uh, the following Sunday, we go to Newcastle, go to Newcastle, ugh. and then the next weekend we <laughs> play Brighton at home, uh, which is, um, you know, Brighton is a team that's fighting for a European spot as well. So that's, uh, it's at home, but that's not, an, those are those are four potentially very tricky games, after which point we play, our two remaining games are at Nottingham Forest, and then home against Wolves to close out the season. Um so yeah. certain, certainly, yeah, I mean, certainly this is the, this is the, this right here is the massive stretch for us over the next about. Well, so, so basically weeks. getting back to the, the disabled list, like we're basically looking at a similar roster, maybe plus Shaka to this previous match going up against city is what it seems like. Uh, yeah, that seems to be most likely the thing unless Arteta decides to get, um, Unless I try to decides to get super creative, but I, I the Ars blog had a piece last week. I'll try to find it and send you the link. That basically that's like like one of the things City's actually done in the second half of the season is actually sort of restructured their lineup. It, it's essentially part of what's made them uh, be so much better and more consistent in the second half is the way they've kind of changed their formation and and certain players' positions. And I don't 
as much as Arteta is modeling a lot of what Arsenal does after what Pep and City do, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're in a place where he can throw in different players and sort of expect us to just play differently, I I guess. I I think we're kind of... Arteta's talked about this as being essentially in stage three of a five-stage plan. And the you know stage three is I think we're a little bit ahead of where he probably wants to be in terms of competing for the title, but you know stage three is not stage three doesn't allow for that kind of roster flexibility that he would want. It still doesn't trust the depths of his roster in the way that that Pep does at City, which I mean of course he does. If you look at their roster, I would trust them too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Uh, um, yeah, I think, I think in terms of our lineup, there may be some small stylistic or tactical changes. I mean, I think, uh, you know, honestly, the place where we could make the most changes, I wonder if maybe you see Jorginho in the midfield, but I don't know, like, uh, even though party's been wobbly, I think he's still your better option there. And then, I mean, on the one hand, you could start Trossard, but start him for who? Martinelli and Saka, frankly, have been our best players. And right. again, as we talked about, Gabriel Jesus, even when he's not playing well, still does so many things that are helpful to the offense that, that Trossard just can't match. So, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Eddie and Ketty, I guess. But he, but even then, as we said, he's a, he's a lesser version of what Jesus brings as well. I, I think if you're looking for a center forward, probably probably Trossard before Enketi uh, if you had to replace Jesus. So, yeah, I, I think lineup wise. Right. Unless the, the craziest thing I think you could do, and we saw this late in one game, maybe you you move Ben White inside to a center back, and you drop um you drop Thomas Party in as your right back. Huh. But ugh, I don't I don't I don't really like that. Uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is probably the lineup we see certainly over this next key stretch, and then arguably since we only have a month left, arguably for the duration. Right. So, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, player of the match, because I'm kind of scratching my head thinking, how do I even try to pick a player of the match for this supremely disappointing match? <laughs> and, and it was such a weird game, too. You know, we, we put a lot yeah. of pressure on them and controlled the game in part because we went down so quickly, sort of the, right. the notion of game state. I, I'm... I'm torn between either of the two wingers. I thought Saka and Martinelli were both fantastic. Um, I thought they did an excellent job. I, you know, they both deserved goals. You know, they both combined on 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 uh, the first one. Um, yeah, I thought they were both good, dangerous. They're everything you wanted them to be. Um, you know, if I'm thinking, maybe is there a tiebreaker? I guess. You know Martinelli with the stupid foul on Benaric. I don't know. I maybe that maybe that makes Saka <laughs> the man of the match. I think I I could go either way on them. I might lean a little towards Saka since he was able since you know Martinelli clearly ran himself out of the game a little bit. Got a little tired when he got was when he I think why he was pulled late. Saka played the full game. Right. Got got the essentially got the tying goal. I guess I would go Saka, but I would I would not you know. I would not lose sleep if somebody argued for Martinelli. I think he's a I think he'd be a pretty good choice overall. Yeah, I, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, Odegaard's goal was beautiful. It was like a long-range goal that just, like, thread the needle through a bunch of people and caught the corner. Um, that deserves mention. 
Um, but I think I'd probably be leaning towards Saka as well, just for his contributions to two out of the three goals. Like he had like kind of one and a half goals, right? <laughs> he, he had the assist to Martinelli and then he was one who put it in for the last one for the equalizer. So yeah, I think I would give it to Saka for this match. Yeah. I mean, we could easily point to, you know, some of the weaknesses other players displayed. I thought Odegaard was okay. I know we, we talked about some of the criticism of him. I thought he was much better in this game. I thought Party was really part. Well, Vieira was really the weak link in the midfield, but I also thought Party had some, some rough moments, including the giveaway that led to their second goal. Um, you know, he, he's been, he's kind of struggled a little bit over the last, uh, the last couple of weeks. I think some of that is he's definitely dealing with an injury. Um, it might also be a little, uh, and I think it's also, I think, a little tired as well. Right. And we ask him to do a lot. Oh, yeah. So a uh, couple couple small questions uh, relating to the match, not really about the match itself, but questions that occurred to me during this match. Um, the commentators were talking about how Southampton hasn't won an away against Arsenal since 1987, since you and I were in diapers. Um, how do other clubs view playing at the Emirates? Like that, that kind of reminds me of how we talk about going to Liverpool. Like it's always tough going to their stadium. Um, is it similar to other clubs look at playing Arsenal on their home turf to be a formidable thing? I mean, I know we have a really strong vociferous crowd. Does that factor in at all? Um, so I'd say no. <laughs> um, so it, okay. it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned it's, it's, it's funny. A lot of these aspects are kind of funny. Um, so I think there's two ways to think about this. One is I always find the conversations about home field advantage are really tough to parse out because, you know, we, we mentioned Liverpool has, has a very good record at home, but Liverpool also has generally not this year, but generally has a really good record away. Why? Because Liverpool's really good. Like, you know, it is sometimes hard to parse out. And I've had this conversation a lot, and especially in other sports, especially like college football. Like, you know, Alabama is so tough to beat at home. Alabama is tough to beat everywhere. Like, how, how do you measure that kind of home field advantage? Um, you know, so I think that's always an interesting conversation. Uh, having said that, you know, do people generally speak of, you know, the fear of going to the Emirates? No. Um in fact, okay. it's its reputation, frankly, up until this season, and even a little bit back when they were in Highbury too, as that Arsenal fans were a little bit quieter. Um, high, there were the Highbury Library uh, was was a nickname sometimes used of the old of the old stadium. <laughs> I mean, it could certainly get kind of loud, you know, certainly in in big moments. And even the Emirates had some moments. It, it the Emirates is much larger, but there was kind of a sense that it wasn't quite there, and a lot of that had to do as well with the people's feelings about the club and how good the team was and how good we thought the team should be this year has just been a completely different thing. The atmosphere has, has been supercharged. Uh, it's been a great atmosphere. Uh, you know, the fans have really been a part of it, you know, definitely, certainly, certainly you saw, we, we've talked about some of the, the late winner, like the Bournemouth winner, uh, you know, the, the, the late winner against United. And then also even this one getting the, the tying goal, you know, there was a, a real energy in the stadium. Um, and that hasn't been the case the last few years. So teams, I, I don't huh. think teams really generally look at the Emirates and go, Oh man, we have to go there. Usually you're, if you're <laughs> bothered by going there, it's because it means you're playing Arsenal, especially, you know, this year's version of Arsenal has obviously, even again, our wobble is still three draws. Like we're we're still 
on top of the table, still playing really well. So, right. yeah, no, we don't have a particularly fearsome reputation <laughs> at, for the Emirates and even even at Highbury. I think in a lot of ways, the big benefit is, you know, because fields, we talked about this, the sides of fields can be a little variable. It's, in some ways, it's a lot like baseball in that because the angles of the of each stadium is a bit unique, in some ways, you construct your team to where you play. And especially under Arsene Wenger, Arsenal always did a very good job constructing a team around the kind of stadium and the field they had. And and same at the Emirates, too, constructing a team to fill those spaces and play that, that field a particular way. Um, but really, you know, in terms of the crowd before this year, no, I would not have said that. Okay. Hope, hopefully it continues. <laughs> um, hopefully it continues uh, going forward, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess it... The question occurred to me not only because of what that commentator had said, but also because that is how it has seemed to me this year. And this is really what I know is this this current season that we're in mm-hmm. where they are doing really well and the crowd is really into it. So so that's, yeah, well, something we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, a- another thread of question that's popped up for me the last uh, several matches is I'm starting to recognize players who aren't playing for Arsenal. And I'm trying to remember where I know them from. <laughs> so when a name or a face is familiar, I'm trying to figure out, is it from international play during the World Cup? Or is it from just the first match against this team that we just played a second match against? So the person who had happened to be with this match was Lienko. Uh, did he play for a team that we discussed during the World Cup? Or is it just that I'm remembering him from our first Southampton match? Um, it must be the first Southampton game, uh, because his last appearance was with the Brazil under 23 national team, uh, in 2020. So he has never appeared for his senior side. So yeah, I was looking, I was like, oh, did I see him? I looked him up. Nope, definitely not. Um, (laughs) he, he has played for both. He played for Serbia's U19 team and then uh, switched over, uh, to join Brazil at the U20 and U23 levels, but has not since then he's now 26 has not since then made an appearance for brazil which you know i'm sure he's a he's a decent player but brazil has i mean brazil has gabriel who doesn't start for them and you know right <laughs> commentary about the match aside gabriel's a pretty good player so um right but nope i don't know where you re- must be the first game you remembered him from yeah all right or who knows could be a ted lasso appearance or something who knows <laughs> we've we've talked about this i haven't watched uh, anything yet so no spoilers yeah no not from this season i'm just thinking maybe from past seasons where like the name would just kind of be in the back of my mind as something that i heard before or something Mm, yeah maybe (laughs) so no 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 spoilers i I will not do that to you or our (laughs) listeners (laughs) so um so what what should we be looking for going into this uh, city match coming up uh, in just a couple days? And, and I will make a, a loose promise, dear listener. I will I'll do my best to get this full edited episode out before the end of our my Eastern time day on Tuesday the 25th. I'll try to have it so that you can listen to it the morning or afternoon before the Manchester City match so that this discussion isn't completely pointless. But that said, let's imagine that that comes to fruition. <laughs> what should we expect going into that match? Um, you know, I don't know. I, you watch games enough in any sport and so many times a lot of them will get particularly overanalyzed, but one game, one game changes on so many different sorts of things. Um, 
Maybe even the Southampton game on paper, it's a game we should have won fairly easily. We score, ended up scoring three goals. Southampton's at the bottom of the table. I mean, I frankly, I know this is going to come off as sour grapes, but I watched them. I, I think they're in, I, I think they're in real trouble. I really think they're going down. I did not see anything they did that made me say, wow, that's a team that really should, really should be able to survive. I think they're in big trouble. Um, but you know, that like, again, then they score a goal in the first 30 seconds. Um, I think in a lot of ways, I think I, if we're looking for a game as a, as a model, I think the Liverpool game, the Anfield game is probably the closest one I could see. I, I think, you know, we've talked about the limitations this team has. In spite of all that, we're perfectly capable of controlling the ball, controlling possession, getting opportunities for ourselves, and doing it against good teams. We did it against Liverpool. We did it against City. I mean, that game we lost at, you know, at the Emirates, the first league game, we we played really well for long stretches, especially in the first half. I mean, it was really that that bad giveaway from Tomiyasu and, frankly, a, a pretty pretty incredible finish from De Bruyne that put them on the board. I mean, we controlled right. long stretches of that game, especially in the first half. I don't see why we can't do that. I think there are going to be stretches, though, where City is on the ball, putting us under pressure, and it's how do we handle that? How do we deal with that? Can we avoid the big mistakes that have doomed us? And can we especially avoid those mistakes on set pieces? That's really been a problem. Uh, in the in the last the last few weeks, and it needs it's something they really need to they really need to be better with. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're gonna blow them out. I don't, I'm not saying we're you know that all of this is gonna get flipped on its head. We're gonna walk out three nil winners. I I could see us winning. I <laughs> I I could easily see them winning. I I yeah, people are gonna pick them to win, and I totally understand that they're on a roll right now, and we are not. Um. I, I think, I, you know, I've said for the last few weeks, I think if we get a draw there, we win the title. I don't know that I can say that with confidence right now because uh, a draw right. would still leave them five points back with the two games in hand, which, as we said, they could easily overtake us with. Um, yeah. I, I think there's... Uh, and, and and this was put out by Gunner Blog. You know, he said... You can't play City three times, lose all three games, and still expect to be considered better than them. I think if we want to win the title, we have to beat them. I, I think we have to. I don't want to say we have to win. I mean, obviously, I think on some level we have to win if we want to win the title. But I mean, I think you. Basically, I think that's what yeah. you want to to go into the the Lions Den. And again, speaking of stadiums that aren't very intimidating, I mean, nobody, nobody. Nobody walks into the Etihad afraid of the crowd. They walk in having to play. Oh crap! We got to play City, um, right? <laughs> but you know, I, that's that's kind of where we are. And if this is a team that want, you know, if you if you if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I think we yeah. can. I think it'll be hard. I think it'll be you know our best performance of the season. Um, but I say, you know what? Let's 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 take the right attitude. Bring it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully they are looking at it the same way. So, <laughs> uh, by they, I mean the Gunners. <laughs> yeah. our, our Arsenal, City. yes, Arsenal. <laughs> Not City. Don't, don't, I, don't, don't care. I don't care where they see this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's coming up after the City match on Wednesday? Yeah, so City on Wednesday, and then we have a week off until uh, the rescheduled game against Chelsea on Tuesday. Um, so 
get excited for that. Which also, by the way, we should throw in a okay. couple of other other quick uh, Arsenal games. Um, the Arsenal women on Monday the 1st at the Emirates will play Wolfsburg in the Champions League semifinal. They're 2-2 after a, a draw at Wolfsburg. So they they could very well find huh. themselves... I mean, that's a game they could win and could find themselves in the final, uh, the Champions League final. So good on the women. And then the Academy, the U18 team, uh, tomorrow, the Tuesday the 25th, will play West Ham at the Emirates for the... Uh, I believe it's the Youth Cup. Yeah, the FA Youth Cup, which huh. uh, we haven't won um, in quite some time. I think they said 2009 was the last time. So that would be a a really excellent result for, um, you know, for the young team. Yeah, the FA Youth Cup final is at the Emirates. So that'd be a really excellent result for them. And then, of course, uh, the, you know, the with City and Chelsea. So a lot of good things are happening at Arsenal. Um, we'll see if they can... Yeah. And finish the job in it in any or all of them. Well, and and if you don't know this, then uh, we can try and look it up and maybe put a link in the show notes. But um, I imagine for the women's uh, Champions League that those matches are going to be on Paramount Plus, like the regular UEFA, the men's UEFA and Champions League. I would yes, guess. they are. Yes, Paramount Plus has a CBS has the American coverage of of the both of all the European yep. competitions, men's and women's. Um. And then, I, what about the youth? Do you know where uh, viewers? Do not know where that, that if that's a ava- if okay. that's available. Um, I, I I don't know. Chances are there may there says there's audio available on Arsenal.com. So at the very least, you could listen to the. You know, I don't <laughs> know something. who ha- I don't know who has the the television rights. Um, uh, it'll be streamed for free on the Arsenal website. Uh, so there you go. Oh. Okay. Um, cool. And the Arsenal uh, app, but I presume you, I imagine you need to be a member of, Ar- an Arsenal member to, to do that, which I believe is free, so. Probably, yeah. Well, sounds good. Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan to download a raw, unedited recording right away, as well as occasional bonus content like last week's episode discussing the history of the world part two. There is a link in the show notes to join. And thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid IV. You can find them at liquidiv.com and enter code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R, to save 20% at checkout. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. And once more with feeling, a happy St. Totteringham's Day to you. <laughs>